creatively. My name's Corinne Morrison and I'm an Australian contemporary painter. Here I welcome you inside my studio as I reveal the good, the bad and the messiest parts of my creative life. As you dive down this rabbit hole with me, it's my hope that through honest connection, this space becomes a true legacy of what it means to be stubborn in service of pure passion. Let's dive in. This is the most exciting part for me. Really, it is. I love starting new work. I just get all kinds of childish goosebumps. And this is why being an artist is so cool. I can just be a kid forever. Um, But I thought it would be a really interesting opportunity today. While I am quite literally standing here roughing up uh, the composition for a new panel, to actually talk to you guys a little bit about process and why process has really become such a a driving force in all of my work. Um, To be honest, my mission has always been to make process the voice of my work and it was always something on my mind even when I was at NAS, like going through the motions of learning how to think and learning how to see again. I just was always obsessing over this way of how can I make process be the painting in the end? Like, I want to read something to you, actually. That's what I might do. Let me read something to you. I wrote a blog article um, recently that talks about painting, parenting, and process. And I feel like... Maybe it's a good starting point. So let me put this crayon down and I will read it to you. So, process is the unexpected magic that occurs between the courageous impulse to start and the moment where a finished artwork moves beyond the artist and breathes on its own for the first time. It is the heartbeat that gives life to the work, a history of decision and intuition often masked at the point of completion as if to hide the reality of the creative path behind a veil of effortless perfection. My goal has always been to remove perfection and let the messy middle take the lead. So let me expand on that a little bit. I have never been someone that likes work where you can't see the artist's hand, like where you... Not so much the artist's hand, but you can't see how the artwork came to be. Like, when I look at a painting, I want to see the history as to how it's been made. That's just me, personally. And I used to obsess over that while I was at NAS. Like, I used to think about that to the point of, look, all this process stuff really did get started at NAS. Like, to the point where I was in the dark room making my own camera, like painting with developer and fixative and, you know, going right back to the basics of photography. Like I made my own pinhole camera and where most other people in my class had their digital and were taking hundreds of photos over the course of a weekend, I had to like colour and light test for like 
oh my god it felt like months but I was like trudging this camera out into the Royal National Park and with like my canister and my black bag and oh my god I don't even know why I went through such a battle but what I was trying to get back to is how important process is and whether I could find a way of having that a part of the end work and in the end I ended up with these beautiful prints that had hand prints on them and you could see where the developer wasn't you know wasn't fully where where the hand rolled prints weren't underneath and there was just so much of my personal imprint in those photographs that I still to this day love but they certainly what weren't what everybody else was doing and so I think that way of thinking has kind of been there right from all those years back and even when I look over the course of like the last 10 years of work that I've done it's always been process based so actually I'll tell you a really interesting little story because I I feel like this moment at NAS might have been or I know it was I know it was a turning point for me to understanding all of that like when I first turned up there I was like this little 18 year old and I was so obsessed with like just trying so hard to be perfect like I wanted so much to be like this brilliant artist and I would try like there was so much tension behind me trying to get to that point that I feel like it really did come out in everything I was doing at the time. And I had this one drawing teacher who, to this day, like, changed my whole perspective on thinking and seeing. And I'll never forget it. She was my general drawing teacher. I ended up having her all three years that I was there. And in first year, we were doing, like, general drawing is kind of like the abstract way of thinking. It's like taking a line for a walk and, you know, it's learning how to see. It really was learning how to see things differently. And for the most part in those beginning stages, I thought that she was a bit nuts. Like, I thought to myself, this teacher's got no idea what she's talking about. Like, she's trying to get us to take a line for a walk and just I just I just had no no semblance of an idea as to what I was trying to get out of the class no clarity whatsoever anyway cut a really long story short we were like midway through a semester I can't even remember which semester it was but I was there in front of this drawing that I'd been drawing for like four hours and um, she had been standing behind me for a really large portion of that time just kind of looking at me and looking at my work and not saying anything and it was really intimidating to the point that I like eventually like just turned around to her and I said um hey sorry there's going to be noise because I'm just I'm drawing and stepping on ladders because I'm a short ass um I said hey are you actually going to give me any constructive feedback or are you just going to stand there and stare at me (laughs) and stare at my work and she said nothing she just like gave me this look and quite literally snatched my charcoal out of my hand and I was like whoa (laughs) 
So she snatches the charcoal out of my right hand and puts it in my left hand and puts an eraser in my right hand, still says nothing. And all she says to me was, rub it out. And I was like, this, this teacher has actually hit a whole new level of crazy. Like, of course I'm not going to rub it out. I, like, stood there and argued with her for, you know, a good ten minutes as to whether I should rub this out or not. She goes, just believe me, just rub it out. And I was like, but I've worked on it for so many hours. I'm finally happy with it. And she's like, no, you're not. Rub it out. (laughs) And I, like, I still, to this day, telling this story, I can remember my nervous system and how I was feeling at the time and how angry I was like I was so angry and so upset like I felt like my body could do one of two things I felt like I was about ready to drop on the floor and have a kicking and like and stamping tantrum like a toddler or I was just going to never pick up a single art instrument again and fail and just like I was done at that point and I think out of like just this sheer like pit in my stomach I just listened to her and I rubbed the whole thing out she's still standing there still saying nothing not not a single word she watched me rub this thing out came back eventually the whole thing was rubbed out there was even a rip in the paper because I was so pissed off (laughs) so pissed off and so you can imagine this white sheet of paper it was like about an A0 size paper so it was a big sheet of paper of which I probably had spent a lot of money on, which I couldn't afford because I was eating, like, two-minute noodles and tuna and doing the whole uni student thing. And I thought, this freaking teacher has made me stuff up a whole piece of paper. Now it's got a rip in it. She comes back and she's, she said, put your charcoal in your left hand. And I put the charcoal in my left hand. She goes, this piece of paper, you're going to work on it for the whole semester. And you're not touching this piece of paper again with your right hand. That's all she said. She said, better get to work then. And she walked off. And I was like, what the actual F is going on right now? And I was full-blown having this internal tantrum. I was like, what is this teacher on about? And anyway, started working again. And... She said to me at the end of the session, she said, you're, you're not going to work on anything else other than this sheet of paper, so make sure you bring it back with you each session and you'll keep working on the same sheet of paper. No other response, n- nothing else, like just that. And so I took my screwed up, annoyed, ripped piece of paper with all the smudgy charcoal marks and I kept bringing it back to class and... So where everybody else had these nice clean sheets of paper that they could start their drawings on, I had to work on this shitty piece of paper. And over the course of the semester, it was really interesting how I went from that tedious, rigid way of thinking as to how to make something perfect and that resistance, that resistance that I had under wanting so much to be good, that resistance was 100% with, like, kept in the mark. Like, it was like every mark that I made had that energy to it. And I couldn't see it 
until I let go of it. And throughout the semester, I kept working on this piece of paper. And by the end of the semester, what I had was not a piece of paper. It was an object that was filled with so much hate, so much anger, so much, so many tears, so much release of control, so much curiosity. Like it had all of me in that single piece of paper and I had not been in control once because my charcoal was in the opposite hand. It was quite literally letting the mark do what it needed to do. And I realised by the end of that semester that I get it. I get what she's trying to do. She's trying to get me to understand that art is not such a serious thing. Art is arriving and getting to work and making a mark and responding to the mark and being embedded in what you are doing, not being externally motivated about how can I make something look good. And ever since then, I have not touched or very little. I do swap occasionally, but I draw with my left hand. I write with my right hand. And I'm very particular with making sure that the charcoal starts in my left and stays in my left. And still to this day, the energy of that curiosity and the letting go of resistance, I just want to keep saying that, that letting go of the resistance that we have to thinking about making our work good or thinking about the outcome so much that we never get started. It is, that is what it is all about. It is about taking action, letting the line do the work and being present with the work. And now when I look at a big panel like this, it is totally not scary to me at all. It stopped being scary the moment that I built my first studio and I did used to start, like I was working on paper for quite some time and I used to find ways of getting playful with my starting point. So what I would often do is I would often get these big sheets of paper right and I would screw them up in different areas and then I would toss them in the corner of my studio. So it looks like the whole studio floor in the corner was just all these piled up pieces of paper that were all screwed up. And what I would do if I was a little bit lost or didn't have any inspiration or just needed a way of starting, because I'd promised myself that I would paint every day, I would just arrive and I would do something. And if it hit a point where I was starting to get rigid again, I'd pick up one of those pieces of paper and I'd unfold it and I'd do a rubbing of those screwed up sections. Like I'd just run the charcoal or the crayon or the texture, whatever I had, over those sections and make a rubbing. And what it would reveal is like a very abstract... I always saw them as landscapes, though. Every time I opened up one of these pieces of paper and did a rubbing, I could see a landscape or a composition out of it. And I would use those as a starting point. And then eventually, what I started doing was not just using them as a starting point. Those screwed up pieces of paper actually became a work. So I would hang these pieces of paper up and I would start painting 
on all the screwed up areas. And those pieces were some of the first pieces that I ever sold. Um, and it's just, it's interesting to me how this, this playful process-based way of thinking has kind of, I'm sure it has come from that frustrating part of that drawing class. And I will be, honestly, forever grateful, forever grateful um, to that teacher for what she did for me because I, I wonder what I would be doing right now if she hadn't done that. I have a feeling that I'd be still quite rigid and trying to be a perfectionist. And now I am so the opposite. And I also think that part of that is um, from my past in gymnastics. Like, I spoke a little bit about my, like, gym career in the last episode. But, you know, the one thing that that taught me was how to fail. (laughs) How to fail a lot. And... I learnt that failure was not, it was not a bad thing. And I learnt that every time you fail at something, you're one step closer to success. And I guess there is still that part of me that really does take that on in my work. And so when I start a big panel like I'm doing now, like I'm drawing up the composition as we speak, I do that quite fearlessly. Um, I don't overthink it like I have... um, So I'll explain what I'm doing a little bit. So basically what I do, when I have an idea, it usually comes from a scribble that I've done in my um, sketchbook. So I have these amazing little sketchbooks that are called storyboard sketchbooks. Um, And what they have in them is these tiny little squares all through them. And so I'll take these little sketchbooks with me and they're pocket size. They quite literally fit in my pocket. So if I'm going for a bushwalk or sitting in the car or someone else is driving, I can just pull it out and I'll stick my pen in my left hand and I'll do like these movement drawings. So I'll do these drawings while I'm walking or while I'm sitting in the car and I really hold, really loosely hold the pen and I just let the marks become quite organic and I'll follow my eye across what I can see in the landscape, the parts that interest me. Um, the light and the dark areas, like I'll just make an informative little squiggle. And I've been doing that for years and years and years. And these scribbles, because they're so abstract, I find that every time I look at them, I see something different in them. And so there is like a lifetime of inspiration in just like a few little scribbles that I've done. But I will always use something tangible that I have done through walking in the landscape or seeing the landscape as a starting point. Um, This panel that I'm working on right now is a little bit more... It's a little bit more thought out because for a long time I've been battling with, like, horizon lines and trying to figure out a way of making my work a little bit more abstract. Um, And, yeah, just challenging myself to remove the horizon line. And so... This new series of work that I'm doing is all to do with cave pools and a lot of my previous work is usually from a high point looking down into the landscape and for all of this work I'm doing the opposite so I'm at a low point looking up and 
I've done a couple of really like what I feel are my most successful works have been targeted around waterfalls and rock formations and they they're like a real happy place for me at the moment like I love the magic that I can produce in texture with a rock formation and then cutting through it with different um, with different tools to create the waterfall and the way that I layer colour to create, you know, the shimmer of water. Like, I'm really interested in exploring that further. So this new series of work will certainly be taking me out of my comfort zone a bit um, because, yeah, I think, like I was kind of saying in the previous episode, this year is about being with the work and allowing the work space to teach me new things. And I'm, I'm really, really excited about that and this idea of just having the opportunity now to really let the work tell me where it needs to go. And so I'm not rushing through lots of paintings at, the, at once. I've got two on the go at the moment. I've got this big panel and another one and this one I'm hoping to get done in time for the Paddington Art Prize. Fingers crossed. Don't quote me on it. Um, But let's talk a little bit about how my process works. Like, oh, the other thing I should tell you. Don't use expensive materials, people. Like, not for sketching up a, a, a panel. Like, I have found the most magical tool and it's from Bunnings and it's what builders use to mark like little crayon marks on whatever they're building right and they're so cheap and they're not too dark so you can you can let this piece of crayon I don't even know what they're called they're called hang on I'll tell you what they're called Australian made Carson crayons and I've got white and I've got black and You've got to push them pretty hard onto the surface to get a really dark mark. But for the most part, when I'm roughing up a composition, I don't want to take the marks too seriously. I want to get the stuff down and then I'll re-look at it. I'm sorry, excuse me. I'll re-look at it kind of once I've got a whole image down and then I'll come back in and I'll rework things. And when I rework things again, then I'll pick up um, these, what are they called? Stabilo woodies. And they're like a water-soluble crayon. So they're much more dark and intense. And so I guess this beginning stage, it's quite fearless mark-making, but it's done in a way that's very fluid. I'm Whilst I'm using a reference point of a photo and drawings and stuff, I am responding to the marks. And in the end, this is the beautiful thing about being an artist, is that... You curate the composition. You tell the viewer where they are going to look and what they are going to see. And part of the challenge is to do that in a way that they don't realise it's happening. But the next phase of my painting, after I've sketched things up, is quite bold. Like, I get a lot of paint on the surface within the first layer. So I use probably four litres of paint in the first coat. And what I will do is I will quite literally 
mark make and add texture to certain areas of the panel that I want to build up and I'll carve areas out that I want to sink down. So I'm basically sculpting the composition right from the word go. And then from there, I have like an inkling as to where to begin to colour block. And it might be interesting to talk about colour because I think about colour in a very different way than I think most artists do because... To me, colour is a conversation. Colour has always filled in blanks for me for feelings that I can't explain in words. And so when I see colour, it is directly associated with a feeling. And so often the colour is completely separate to the composition. So when I find my colour combinations, it's usually at the weirdest of times. Like, the other day I was... Excuse me a second, I'm just going to take a sip of water. The other day I was trimming my peace lilies. Um, sorry, they're not peace lilies. They're the lilies that I got off my fiancé for Valentine's Day. You know how they've got the little stems in the middle that you have to trim off, otherwise they stain everything? Well, I was trimming those off, and I just put them down beside the vase on the dresser that we have there, which is this beautiful, dark, teal, bluey-greeny colour. Almost charcoal, but it's like bluey-greeny. And the rich red and bright green stem, an orangey-red colour of the little bits, what do you call them? Like the pollen bits, was just sitting on that dresser and I was like, I took an immediate photo. Like, this is how my colour combinations kind of start. Like, I'll just see something next to something else. It can be two pieces of paper on the ground with my boot next to it. And I'll be like, hey, those colour combinations are cool. I'll take a photo of it. So the colours are like, okay, those are my key colours. Then I work from those key colours and I make sure that I've got, um, like, a really wide tonal value. So... With my work, where, like, your tonal values are, like, zero being white and ten being black, right, I have to work when I'm layering on quite opposite sides of that tonal value scale in order to bring depth into what I do. If you have no references to my work, I will add some links in the show notes so that you can see what I'm talking about. But when I'm layering, in order to develop depth, I have to think about using, say, a number two and a number seven in order to give enough depth for someone to clearly see composition. If I'm using, say, a two and a three, from a distance with my work, those two colours blend together. And that's good, and I use that intentionally if I'm trying to pull something into the distance. So I am not... I want to come back to this. I am not just whacking on colour, any colour that I like, not thinking. Like, it it is quite strategic, a little bit mathematical and very much against my rainbow unicorn brain and the way that I like to work by just doing whatever I feel like. But this layering phase is very, very important for me and this idea of sitting still with the work and being present with the work because... Let me explain it this way. Where most artists build up their layers of their work in order to resolve a painting, I am doing the complete opposite. 
So my base layers of my paintings are always the most important because when I excavate, the sander is going to rip down through to those base layers. So this is why I talk about my process sometimes getting to a point of being very um, unbearable because I build up so many litres of paint on the surface of these panels. Like, there's four litres that goes on to basically, like, the first layer. And my panels can have anywhere between... Depending on how small, obviously. But anywhere between, say, 10 to 30 litres of paint. In the past, some have had a lot more than that. But in the end... It's a lot of paint on the surface and I am brushing it, I am not pouring it on, I am colour blocking things as I go. So it is painstaking and the more the layers are getting to the surface, the more I just want to like cover the painting up and not look at it anymore. Like it is like this incredible tension that builds over the work but it's a tension not that I hate, it's a tension that I know that I need to understand the painting and it's my way of being patient. It's like getting my ADD part of my brain to be still with the work for a bit and it makes the next phase of the work all the more sweeter. So I build up these layers and I, I tally my litres of paint that I'm getting on the surface. So every layer and every litre of paint I kind of document because I know how many litres I need to get on for it to be like a successful sand. Um, and so I tally things and once I hit the point that I know that I've got enough paint on the surface, I really, like I just, I have to say goodbye to the work. So what I do is I will get, I'll pick a colour, a burial coat colour, and I'll paint the entire composition over. Like I'll just completely say goodbye to it, risk the entire thing, paint the whole thing over, and then it'll get put to the side to cure. Um, And that curing time, again, it's a little bit of a sweet spot. It depends on, um, it really depends on weather and what season it is, but there is a sweet spot for the curing time so that when I go to excavate it with my tools that I use, um, there's certain thing, certain tools that need more hardness than others. So when I bring the panel back up, I, like, I can't even explain to you the feeling that I get when I bury a painting. Like, it is... It is one of those things that every person around me would 100% be able to see that I'm at the burial phase or I'm at the layering phase because my emotional state during the layering phase, like, oh, my God, it can be really tedious. And then when I cover it over, I'm like, I can breathe again. (laughs) So then when I get this seemingly blank textured panel back up to the wall it's like I get to view it with a fresh set of eyes again and I I can't really remember what's underneath like I can remember roughly what colours but I can't remember how they've been layered and I can't really remember where the most important 
important parts of the composition is apart from where the texture is. So what I'll do is I'll pick a focal point and I'll get my big industrial sander. His name is B because he's yellow and black. And I will pick a focal point and I will start excavating back down into the original composition. But what it allows me to do is it allows me to kind of repaint the painting again because I really am re-curating the entire thing. And sometimes what will happen is I'll paint an entire painting, but there'll only be a small corner that I'll start to sand and I'll be like, actually, I didn't even want to sand the rest. And I'll just leave a lot of negative space. Sometimes I'll sand and I'll sand the whole thing and nothing will stick and the whole painting will go to dust. Um, And... Every painting is a complete risk like that. Like there is always the potential that it may lead to absolutely nothing. Um, It is not a cost-effective way of painting either, getting on all those litres of paint and then sanding them all off. Um, But, but what I would say is that what is left of the work when I do start sanding and that those, like, I can't even predict the magic that is going to reveal itself as I start to sand. And it's almost a thing that you sand and you see something that you love and you're like, oh, do I sand for, like, it's like such a dance with the panel as to knowing when to stop. And eventually I believe that the work itself does have a voice by that stage and really does yell at you and go okay, stop touching me. And so I'll usually go through, like the sanding can take up to a week and throughout that week I'll come backwards and forwards and I'll see something that I'm not quite right and I'll sand a little bit more. Sometimes they'll be sanded and then I'll have to paint more over the top and then I'll sand and paint more over the top. Sometimes I'll sand and I'll layer up really heavy paint and then carve back into it with a different tool. Like... The process from that burial stage to the finished work, like that phase of my process is my work. Like that is what I want at the end to be hanging on the wall. I want people to see all of that. And it was really interesting the moment I realised this, the pen they dropped. Sorry, I'm clicking my fingers because I'm thinking... One of my friends walked into the studio one day when I first started doing all this sanding stuff. She said, it's really interesting how you have made process the voice of your work. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that, that wall that I'd put up for myself at National Art School, I actually wrote those words in one of my original sketchbooks process being the voice of the work and she walked into the studio she had no idea of that and that is what she said and I thought freaking brilliant I've figured it out and from here I feel like I've found this process that is all of me it is fearless at the start tedious to sit with unable to stand still then I cover it over and I get to like quite literally attack this panel like rip into it with so much physical energy and so much joy and so much passion and then when it's done when I get it up on the wall and all that magic is there and there's 
hidden areas and revealed areas and mark-making areas and areas that I can see have been such a battle. I'm like, every painting, even if it's a failure, I still know I am doing what, what my mission has always been. I'm producing work where process is the voice of the work and I'm still figuring out a way of how to... And I think my gallery is also still figuring out a way of how to explain that portion to a buyer. And I think it's a matter of, a matter of time. And it's like, it's really interesting. I just sold another work um, literally yesterday and it's going off to the Netherlands, which is really exciting. And so it excites me to know that there is something that people are seeing in that process-driven work that is making people hungry. And, like, my work is all about producing something that unravels itself over time. It forces people to stand in front of it and be still with it. Like, I don't want to make work that is simplistic in a way that you can look at it for a second and walk past it. I want to create work that forces people to stand and take a moment of pause because this is what society does not allow us to do. It does not allow us unless we choose for it a moment of pause. And, you know, this is what I get out of being with the work. Like, I spend so much time on these paintings, so many weeks, and it's like... I want to be able to give that amount of emotional support to the viewer as well. Like, I want the painting to give that to the viewer. Anyway, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent and I've stopped drawing now because I'm too busy talking with my hands. Um, But I might just pause this for now. I'm going to rough up the rest of this panel I'm hoping that my camera is still going so it's actually recording this, but I have a feeling that I've heard the shutter before go off. So I'll go and check the camera. I'm going to rough up the rest of this panel. Um, And I'll have a think about if there's anything that I've missed. But if not, thanks for being with me. I hope that my multitasking has been okay. And if you haven't delved into my work a lot or you're not really sure of like you can't really understand what I'm talking about go and have a look at my paintings I'll put the link down the bottom and you'll be able to see what I mean by excavation and this is why I call them excavated landscapes Um, because that's what they are they are excavations of self Um, and in the end I want that history to be the end result. Like, I want all that history, all that time, all that energy, all that paint to be present in the finished product. And I don't know. Let me know if you feel like I am successfully doing that or if there is something that you can see that you would like to see. Not that I'm going to change things for you. (laughs) But I am always really curious to understand, like, and hear people's feedback about my process and what I do and what they see in the work. Hit me up. And don't forget, by the way, if I don't end up getting back on here and talking more, 
which actually, now that I think of it, I probably won't. Um, don't forget to rate and review and leave a comment. Share this with a friend um, because this is how I'm going to roll. Just really non-scripted, talking midway through the process. Don't know what next episode's going to be like. Have no idea. Let me know if there's anything you would like to know about my process. Maybe that can be a talking point for next week. Anyway, talk with you more soon. Thanks for diving down the rabbit hole with me once again. Bye.